from the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. It is so great to be here today. It's a great day to be alive. Great day to be alive. And we have a wonderful guest waiting for us today. We will get to Beth in a moment. But I want to greet everyone listening in from around the world, from as far away as Shizano, Italy, to Houston, Texas, all the people I love up in Oregon and Idaho. I love the Pacific Northwest. Such a beautiful country. Rob, have you ever traveled much in the Pacific Northwest? Uh, no, as a matter of fact. California and briefly Seattle, that's about it. Right on. Right on. And uh, both my kids went to college down in the deep south in Louisiana. And uh, that's another part of the country I lived on there. Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama. Beautiful, beautiful country and beautiful people. And so from everyone around the world and especially friends in uh, uh, the UK, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show on behalf of Casey, who is in the booth and Rob sitting next to me. Rob, What's the good word today? I'm doing fine. Thank you very much. My voice is back after our last couple of episodes. You were a little froggy. Yes. Actually, very, very froggy. Yeah. I'm a little concerned, though, Sven, because there's a lot of talk in Washington about banning TikTok. So mm-hmm. that would be a problem for you. It would be like taking your voice away. I'm concerned. I Well, I am too a little bit. Uh, but there are 150 million people in the U.S. that use TikTok. And so to my, for me, it's sort of like, well, if that's what the, the fates decide, then that's what they decide. I just find it very difficult to believe uh, that they would, I mean, that's going to piss off a lot of people. I think all it's all a power play or something. I don't know, man. I don't know. They will lose every vote of anyone under 35. <laughs> so I'm not sure. And a few of us all over 55, you know. And Sven, you'll still have the podcast. Amen to that, my brother. Amen. Though what's interesting is Facebook has recently changed its algorithm. I can tell because my numbers have just rocketed up on Facebook for my corporate account. It's the algorithm, nothing you're doing, yes. It's, no, my, my stuff is still shit. But anyway, I'm teasing. All right, we have a guest today who, very interesting story. Rob, will you tell us about Beth? I would be delighted, Sven. Uh, She wrote into us and said, my name is Beth. I wanted to write in because I am at a crossroads in my life and I desperately need your honesty and your guidance. I'm 36, a mother to the sweetest 10-year-old boy. I grew up as one of Jehovah's Witnesses and was disfellowshipped or shunned in August 2020 for having an affair. I was in a really bad marriage where I ended up getting beaten physically and emotionally. I'm so sorry if I sound dramatic. I am ashamed to say I cheated on my husband with a man I fell for at work. I am still with this man. He is separated from his wife and has three kids. The entire almost three years we've been together, he has lied to his wife and kids about me. I have met her and she knows I'm a very good friend. I've even gone on their family outings with them, such as to amusement parks, etc. He begged for me to try to reunite with my family. To do so, I've had to lie to my family and the church about my relationship with this man. This has literally destroyed me inside, and I don't even know who I am anymore. I feel like I have all these different facets to my life that I don't even know what is reality. I don't know what I believe in spiritually anymore, and I don't even know myself anymore. My relationship with the man I am with has been built around lies and more lies, and the more we try to come out of the lies, the worse it gets. And the kicker is, this man is pretty much trying to isolate me now. He doesn't like me having friends. He says having friends isn't normal, and that he wants me all to himself. He also doesn't trust me. I don't know if any of this makes sense. I am such a mess and I feel like a worthless human. I want to provide a happy home for my son and show him what family is. I want to live an authentic life. Please help me, Sven. I need your honesty for some clarity in my life. I have so much respect for you. Beth, great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. And uh, it's always great when we have a Texan in the house. So Welcome to you from Texas. Thanks for tuning in. I want to dive right in. Uh, you said, I, Sven, I need your honesty and some clarity in my life. All right, so recognizing that you're asking for honesty, let's dive into this one thing where you said this. I just find this so interesting. I was in a really bad marriage where I ended up getting physically beaten and emotionally beaten. Okay, wow. And then, but what's most fascinating is what you say next. I was in a marriage where I was getting physically and emotionally beaten. I'm sorry if I sound dramatic. <laughs> 
Isn't it, isn't it interesting that you see telling the truth about you being physically and emotionally abused as being dramatic? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I exaggerate a lot. <laughs> and, and so are you exaggerating? Were you, let me just ask, were you physically beaten? Were you emotionally beaten? Yes or no? Yeah. Oh. I was. Oh, so it's not dramatic. It's just fact. Yes. Why do you minimize by saying, oh, I'm sorry if I sound dramatic. It's like you're, it's like you're trying to undercut the very fact that you were physically and emotionally abused. And that's, that's about as bad as it gets. It's right up there in the top five. Isn't it interesting how you minimize that by saying, oh, I'm sorry if I'm being dramatic. Isn't that interesting, Beth? Yeah, it is. Um, I don't know. And I don't know if that comes from the marriage I was in. Um, Cause I would try to say like, you know, like, why would you do that to me? Um, it's so embarrassing. Like he would like slam me up against the door. Wait a minute, or... stop, stop. There was a <laughs> sentence you almost finished, but you stopped right before you put the period on the end. You said, it's so embarrassing. And then you stopped. You were telling us about what your next sentence was. He, you know, put me against the wall and all this stuff. And you said, it's so embarrassing. Why is it embarrassing for you I get embarrassed when I wake up after, you know, having had too many cocktails the night before and I told somebody at a party, God, you really smell tonight. I wake up the next morning and I feel embarrassed. In other words, we feel embarrassed for stupid shit that we've done, that I've done. Why, as you're telling the story of being abused, would you feel embarrassed? Help me understand. I think I should have known better getting into a relationship. That's not how I was raised. How were you raised? My parents have been married for a million uh -huh. years. Um, I had a very nice childhood. Um, they got along. They had respect and have respect for each other. And I rushed into this marriage with a man that I barely knew. Why did you rush into it? To use your words, why did you rush into it? And in who in whose mind were you rushing? Who says you were rushing? Well, we only knew each other for three mm -hmm. months. And... He, proposed to me, which, you know, in some relationships, I think that's okay. This one though, I, I don't know. Like I was just so excited that somebody loved oh, me. Oh, and, like, oh, 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 <laughs> stop right there. I was so excited that somebody loved me. There's a, 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 there's a hint of desperation in there, a significant hint of, oh, okay, yeah. and how old were you when you met him and you discovered somebody loved you? How old were you? I was tw 23. 23, all right. And mm -hmm. just for the record, so that you know there is no judgment, I was 22 when I met someone and three months to the day later, we got married. Three months to the day later okay. after that, we discovered that she was pregnant. So there ain't no judgment coming from me, my young Texan. All right? Thank you. And you're welcome. <laughs> but I want to get back to the point. Okay. Somebody loved me. You In the way you said it, it was like, I was just so excited somebody loved me, like almost surprised. Yeah. And, and you're affirming that. Why would you be surprised that someone would love you? If you had gotten these messages growing up that you were so wonderful and you had this wonderful house growing up, why would you be surprised that someone loved you? I can't figure okay, that out. Okay, I want you to speculate um, right now. I want you to take a swing at it. Step <laughs> up to the plate and feel free to strike out, knowing you could change your mind tomorrow. But what do you think the reason might be that uh, you were surprised someone loves you, which implies you didn't feel loved prior to that? I guess growing up, like I am the youngest of three and my siblings are much older than mm -hmm. me. Um, and my parents had a very difficult time with my sister. Um with some addiction problems and it when I was born she was 14 and it was as they describe I mean I don't remember but it was a very chaotic household um they said I was like inconsolable and and I just remember growing up and always feeling like like there are like always bigger issues and I was kind of like just there and like not really that important um like I was important but not 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 that important. You know, and my parents, like, they would tell me that they love me. And my dad worked all the time, you know, and he would, when he was off of work, he would try to spend time with me and, and things. But I don't, I just never felt like romantically that anyone would ever feel that way about why, me. Wait, why would you feel that romantically no one would ever feel that way about you? 
Because that implies I don't feel like there's anything about me that's particularly lovable for a guy. Yeah, I mean, I definitely feel that way. Let me ask you, what were the messages you received, the explicit messages you received growing up? Were you told that you were smart or creative or pretty or so good with people or whatever? What were the messages you got about your worth or lack of worth as it were, if that was the case? What were the messages you got about you? Because you said you're expressing surprise that someone could love me and, and doubt that someone could love me romantically. So what were the messages you got? You know, I had friendships with kids from school or whatever. And, you know, like, oh, like, you know, kids talk about like, oh, she's pretty or she's not pretty or this or that. And like, that was always a focus. Um, in my home, I never was told that I was unlovable or uninteresting or not pretty or anything like that. I just wasn't really told anything. Ah, and so what's interesting is a sort of a void had been created at home. You weren't getting any messages. You had no sense of who I am or what my worth was, right? Where some some children at home get the message, you're a little shit, you're a little fucking loser, you'll you'll grow up to be a, a whore just like your mother, you'll grow up to be a, a punk just like your father, you know, whatever, okay? Negative message. Then there are those homes where the child gets the messages of, you're such a wonderful kid. I, I'm, I'm blessed to be your parent and oh, you do fine. You make good decisions, son. Or young lady, I'm so proud of you. You're such a hard worker, whatever. So there's the positive ones. But you were in one where there was just this void. Yeah. Because as you said, there was so much drama around your sister that you just sort of floated through life. You didn't exist. It, I mean, you were just there. You were not that important. And dad tried to spend a little time with me, but he worked all the time. So you're just floating through life. So you're not getting any real significant negative messages on one hand, but you're not getting any positive, you're not getting any messages. So in that vacuum that's created, insert the messages now that you're getting from other people. I had a classmate growing up, um, and this particular classmate was uh, treated very, very, very poorly at school. And I bumped into this classmate uh, about 10 years ago at a funeral of a mutual friend, and I had to apologize for how I contributed to that. And this classmate said, Sven, it's all right. You were actually one of the nicer ones. Um, but this classmate uh -huh. shared the story of how there had been an event at home. And in this event at home, one of the siblings felt tremendously uh, bad for how the sibling had treated my classmate. And so for many, many years, the sibling treated my classmate like royalty in their home and protected my classmate and did all of this. So at home, my classmate was very much getting this message of you are, you know, you are king of the world, queen of the world, whatever, you're, you're everything. So even though my classmate was getting negative messages at school, at home, there was a very powerful counter message. So the stuff at school sort of rolled off my classmates back, like water off a duck's back, which is really interesting. Right, the sense. power of counter messaging at home, but you weren't getting any counter messages at home. You were getting no messages, it seems. Um, and so the messages you were getting at school then from peers and, and so forth, they sink in. So if you're getting, oh, you know, Beth is stinky or, you know, oh, you know, Beth, whatever, she's such a klutz, it's going to stick because there's no me counter messages coming from anywhere else in life. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it absolutely does. You said, I was just there. I was not that important. I was just there and I was not that important. That says to me that a child is not being given attention that they exist, but they're not being seen. They're not being heard. They don't really exist. And so the underlying message is, well, you don't exist or you're not that important. And in fact, you said that. You use those exact words. I'm not that important. I just wasn't, well, that important. And so the underlying message to the child is you're not important. You ultimately don't matter. That's the underlying message. You clearly got that because you didn't. Your sister mattered. She was the center of the universe. All of mom and dad's energy and attention was on your sister and you didn't fucking exist. So with a message that gets pressed into that child's soul, you, is you don't matter. Does that make any sense? It does and I honestly never thought of it that way before. Um because I always struggled, like I've, I've listened to your podcast and I got your book, I started reading it and I'm like, I had such an idyllic childhood. Like, I don't understand why I feel this way, <laughs> but I, I never looked at it that and, way. And so, um, and it sounds like you've got some furry buddies there. 
I do. No, Let me give them a treat. That's all right. I, I have three furries at home, and one of them drives me absolutely bonkers. Oscar drives me bonkers. Tom's a bit of a sweetheart, and Gunner's just an old lug, uh, Rhodesian Ridgeback. So I think we can all understand the, the pet thing. So please don't worry about that. And uh, all okay. right. And, and I'm glad they're getting their treats. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just keep uh, sort of talking here and, and put on the next question. But on one hand, you did have an idyllic childhood, but you didn't. Your your sister's getting all the attention. Do you understand that part of an idyllic childhood isn't just, gee, you know, I played with the kids in the block and, you know, we had food on the table and I always had nice clothes and, you know, and whatever. It, an idyllic childhood is that really that the child's emotional soul needs are being met, that they are being affirmed as a person, that they are being hugged and told that they are loved, that they are being listened to, that they are feeling seen and feeling heard. And I don't hear any of that in your story. No. And I I think too, I I don't know um, if you're familiar with the Jehovah's Witness religion at all, and I don't want to knock it in any means, um, but that's a very, very stringent regimented way to grow up. And um, I was always, you know, that to me, um, as long as you do that and you follow that path, like you're like, it's worthy would be a word, Um, you know, and that was, that was basically the way I was pushed to grow up. You know, you go to their meetings. um, They don't call it a church. They call it a kingdom hall. Like, three times a week, you go and knock on strangers doors every Saturday morning. And, but as long as I did those things and I was like a good girl that way, like I was doing what I was supposed to. And, you know, and I don't fault my parents for that. That's what they believe and believed at the time. And, but I just, now as an adult, I feel so lost. And you feel lost because why? What's the correlation between having grown up Jehovah's Witness and been a Jehovah's Witness in your adult life and feeling lost now? You said one on top of the other. What's what's the connection between feeling lost and having grown up and been a Jehovah's Witness? I don't connect the dots for me, please. Sure. Um I'm sorry. I like because everything that happened ending up in a marriage that I couldn't have seen imagine like a mile, you know, like a hundred miles away coming at me. Like, um, and then I made the choice. Um, it's so, I'm like, so ashamed. Like I cheated on him. Like I was in such a horrible spot. And I know that that was a choice that I made, um, knowing that it would get me what they call disfellowshipped or shunned out of the church. And literally like your family doesn't talk to you. You're dead to them. And I did that knowing that that would happen. And now like I'm able to, you know, think for myself and I just like, I don't know what I believe in. Um, Well, we're going to, and I want (laughs) to, I want to dive into because I know something inside of you that you do believe in. And I want to go further into this story. All right. After this short break, I'll continue to, take you deep and take us all deep right here on the Badass Counseling Show. Okay. Well, you've, you've heard the podcast. You've listened to other people's issues. Maybe you've studied hundreds of Sven's TikTok videos. Time to stop lurking, face your fears, and focus directly on the one person in your life who can benefit the most from Sven's experience and insight. Now, that would be you. Just go to badasscounseling.com and order Sven's book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup. Or check out his many video courses. Sven found a way to help himself out of a 12 years depression. It worked for him, and it can work for you too. Check out badasscounseling.com today. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass. We are back with Beth. Beth, you were starting to talk about your uh, religion that you were raised in, Jehovah's Witnesses. And in my lifetime, I've known plenty of darn good people who are Jehovah's Witness. And I've had many wonderful conversations with ones that I didn't know who knocked on my door. So I have no beef with Jehovah's Witness. And 
One of my favorite rock artists of all time was a noted and proud Jehovah's Witness, and of course that's Prince from the great state of Minnesota, my home state, that also birthed Bob Dylan and Judy Garland, just as an aside. Anyway, back to your story. We were talking about your family and the messages you got growing up, and then you sort of segued into Jehovah's Witness, and you said, you know, and the message there is follow the path, and then you're worthy. You said those words. And so I was following that path and being a good girl and so forth. And, you know, it's interesting, those two statements, follow the path, then you're worthy, and the idea of I was being a good girl. Both of those have the underlying message of if you follow the path, then you're worthy. In other words, and you were raised in this religion. It's not just you did it as an adult. You were raised in it. So this was became your belief system. Follow the path, then you're worthy. Well, that means if you're not following the path, you're unworthy. And what that means is if you're not doing the good girl thing, whatever it is, whether it's what your religion says or what your parents say or what your husband says or what your cheater lover says, if you're not doing what you're told, you don't have worth. The problem is that you were raised with the belief that you do not intrinsically have worth. I have to ask you the question. You said that you have a 10-year-old son. When your son was born, I guarantee he cried. Yeah. All right? At some point, and I guarantee he pooped in his diaper and went pee-pee with his pee-pee, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so, and he probably, at times, you know, cried too loud. Or at times, you know, when he was two, he broke this or that. And when he was six, he, you know, whatever, punched the neighbor boy or whatever, right? <laughs> because that's what kids do. But let me ask you the question. Yeah. How much of your son's worth as a human being is simply because he is him? Or in how much does he have to earn his worth when he's six months old or two years old or 10 years old? Do you love your son because of just who he is? Oh my God, yes. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. And yet it sounds like you got precisely the opposite message growing up, that you, that you had to follow the path, then you're worthy. You had to be a good girl and do things, then you're worthy, then you have worth, then you matter. Do you hear the difference between what you think of your son yet what you were taught to believe about yourself? Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's nothing he could do that would ever make me stop loving him. And yet, in your relationships, what you are modeling for your son and what you are proclaiming in your relationships is that you can physically beat me and emotionally beat me. I'm still with this man that I cheated on my husband with, and he's begged me to reunite with my family, basically so I did, and lied to my family and to the church about this relationship, so I did. I don't even know what reality is anymore. Um, my relationship with him is built around lies, and it's basically killing, destroyed me on the inside, um, he's trying to isolate me. He doesn't like me having friends. You're doing what someone else wants you to do your entire life. First, it's your religion. It's your parents. It's your husband. It's your cheater, lover now. All of those have the underlying message, I don't matter. In and of myself, I well, matters. not just everyone else matters, but I only matter when I'm doing what they say. I never thought of it that way. Right, and you want to know the reason that you don't want to do what you think and what you feel, if you could even hear that voice, but that voice got packed down deep inside, got stuffed in the vault. It wasn't safe for you to be you because no, you have to yeah. be X, Y, or Z, what everyone else says. So you don't even know who you are, but it's down deep in there in the vault. But also it's not, you're gonna come under fire from your religion, from your lover, from your ex-husband, from your father, from your mother, you're gonna come under fire. And so even if you could hear you having the courage to do it, knowing you're gonna get fucking criticized, well, that's... That's a huge price. You'd get, you know, exactly. So you are enduring all this shit and you're doing what everyone else says because you were taught growing up, the message that got pressed into your soul is that's what you're supposed to do. You only have worth when you're doing what other, everyone else says you should do. Yeah. Right. So yeah. when you say in here, I don't know who I am. Um, I don't know what I believe. I don't know what is reality anymore. Of course you don't. You have so completely lost yourself and you didn't lose it. I, that's the wrong language. It was stolen from you at a young age. Your authentic self was stolen from you and you were told this is who you should be. 
But there was something else as well. Not only were you told that the real you doesn't matter, you should do what you're told. You use the word for what your parents told you when you were very young. Do you remember the word you told me that uh, they told you about you when you were very young? No. Inconsolable. Oh. Inconsolable. So your sister's getting all this attention. She's, you know, the problem child, and they're focusing all their attention on her, and you were just inconsolable. And what that implies, if a child is inconsolable, there's sort of a natural reflex in the child, in the parent, and I'm not saying it's right. There's a natural reflex. Inconsolable implies there's nothing I can do for you, and the parent steps half a step away. You sort of give up. There's nothing I can do. This one's inconsolable. I don't have time for this shit. You know, this other child is demanding so much more attention. So it almost seems to imply we left you alone because you were just such a fucking pain in the ass. You were so fucking, that's what it implies. But the truth is, guess what one and two and four-year-olds do? Guess what they do to get fed? Guess what they do to get held and feel warmth? They cry. They cry. Mm -hmm. That's the only mechanism that a child has, particularly at one and two and three. They start to develop anger around two and three, so that's another tool. But crying is the only way the child has a means to communicate. So if the child is inconsolable, it seems to imply some needs for that child were not being met. Yeah. And we are, you've already admitted they weren't being met. You already admitted that all of their attention was going to your sister. Or so you were told later, well, is it possible, is it possible that the reason you are crying so much is because your needs aren't being met? So in other words, they're blaming the child. They're saying you are the problem. You are inconsolable. Well, is it possible the reason I was fucking crying so much is because you guys weren't meeting my needs? But no, they felt the need to blame a fucking child for not getting her needs met. They've chosen, and so what that's saying is not only were you know you just there and not that important, but you were the reason that we sort of left you alone. You were at fault. You, the fucking child, were so inconsolable. It's like we had to step away from you. They're blaming you for the fact that they didn't give you, in all likelihood, the attention that you. Not in all likelihood, they didn't. You yeah. needed attention. Every child needs protection, warmth, safety, love, strokes, physical affection nice words. Every child needs that. And we didn't do it because you were the problem. You were inconsolable. And we sort of checked out of your life after that. They are blaming you for the fact that they didn't parent you properly. Yeah. I never thought of it that way. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm getting emotional. I just, No, it's great. You know, my parents are very good people. Like I, I never want to blame them for anything. Um, stop, stop, and- <laughs> stop, stop, stop. I never want to blame them for anything, which implies there are things that a part of me could blame them for, but I don't want to. I don't want to blame them. So I got to ask the question, two questions. Why don't you want to blame? What if they're guilty? That's like saying, you know, this guy robbed a bank, but you know what? He's such a nice fella. I don't want to blame him for robbing the bank. He's just such a lovely fella, you know? Well, but he still robbed the bank. That's true. So let me ask you, What is it about your parents that causes you to not want to blame them? Or what is it in you that causes you to not want to blame them for neglecting you and for blaming you for the reason that they didn't give you the love that you needed? Why don't you want to hold them? And let's shift the word blame to hold them accountable. Why don't you, even if you never say anything to them in person, I'm just curious, even in yours and my conversation, why don't you want to hold them accountable? Why is that? Um, I hate hurting anyone's feelings the thought of anyone being hurt um by me like literally i i can't even stand the thought so and why is it that you hate hate you use the word hate i hate hurting anyone's feelings why do you hate hurting anyone's feelings i would rather i would rather be the one to be hurt why? Um, what that? What happens? What do you fear if you hurt someone's feelings? What do you fear happening if you hurt someone's feelings? Um, Your voice is quavering right now, quivering. <laughs> what is going on inside of you? What are you feeling right now at the mere thought of hurting someone else's feelings? What's going on inside of you right now? Just seeing them in pain. Like I don't 
And what's the underlying message that it sends back to you if you see someone else in pain that because of something you said or because of something you did? What is what is it you fear that causes you to shake? Your voice is shaking, and there's nothing <laughs> wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with that. I am not mocking you. I'm just bringing it to life. What is it that happens inside of you? What is the thought that causes you to shake that if you hurt them, what is it you fear happening? That I'm a bad person. Ah, Right. Yeah. The underlying message is that if you see someone hurting because of something you did, I'm a bad person. Right. Yeah. And so it would be better if I'm the one being hurt yeah. than if I were to say or do anything that might hurt someone else, even if they robbed the bank. I'm not going to call Carl out on the fact that he robbed a bank because he's a nice fellow and I don't want to hurt his feelings because if I hurt his feelings, it would mean I'm a bad person. So the problem here, part of the problem, Beth from Texas, is that you're afraid to look at the truth because you think even in talking with me, see, here's the thing, your mother, your father, they aren't in the room. All right. And, and your husband, your lover, they aren't in the room. You're not hurting them. They don't know. Nothing's going on. It's just you and me talking. Yeah. All right. And so you're not hurting them, but you're afraid to even look at it. You're afraid to even look at the truth because, gee, you know, it might hurt them somehow. But then that's a reflection on you. I'm a bad person. The reason you don't know who you are, what you believe or what is reality anymore is because you're afraid to look at the truth because you think if I look at the truth, it might hurt someone else. And therefore, I am a bad person. (laughs) And what does it feel like to hear that? What's the, uh? I mean, it's, therapeutic to hear that like I never I just ignore things so much because I I don't know like like you said I would rather be the one to be hurt and I I don't know like I just never looked at it that way before it's kind of like well you just said to me two minutes ago four minutes ago you said basically my son is good he came out of the womb good he's a good boy just because just because of who he is how God made him or however you want to state it the children are good children (laughs) are intrinsically good. When they come out of the womb, they are good. They believe the world is good, I am good, mom is good, dad is good, they just, that is, and that means somewhere between the womb and right now at 36 years old, someone corrupted your intrinsically good nature by putting a belief in you that you're only good if you do what they say. You're only good if you don't hurt them. They stole your belief in your innate goodness. Mm. Yeah. Let me ask you this question straight up and there's no right or wrong answer. Just okay. be, if you want to answer it and you don't have to answer this question, Beth, okay? okay? Um, and uh, it, it is it is germane in your case, but I'm going to ask the question. Do you, if you were to be totally honest, and again, you don't have to answer the question, do you believe in God? I don't, I don't know. That's fair. I mean, yeah, I don't That's know. That's fair. That's fair. I want okay. to. You want to? Okay. Well, let me ask you this. Just for the moment, let's run with the, let's run with the idea that you do. Just for a moment, okay? Sure. Let's just run with that. Um, my father, who was a pastor for about sixty-five years before he passed away, and still performing services into his nineties. Let me ask you. He would always say. He would always say, "God don't make no junk." Mm. God don't make no junk. Mm. And so, when you were born, were you good and wonderful and God's child? the moment you came out of the womb and even before you came out of the womb, were you a beautiful, wonderful child? Like, yeah, I, it's weird to say that. <laughs> Isn't um, that interesting? And, and why yeah. is it, I knew, I <laughs> fucking knew that would make you squirm. Why is it weird to say that, Beth? Um, Because I, I've never thought that about myself. Right. Um, I think I've spent my whole life trying to be good because I guess the thought is and you're not so you have to try to be and you're never good enough and if you do x y and z then like oh see look at you like now we're proud of you and so I just think like innately like I'm just going to be this like wretched mean person (laughs) if I don't put everybody else first nope and that, and that's, you know what, honestly, I get why you think that I get what you, the belief system, and I'm not just talking about your religion. I'm just yeah. saying what was in your home 
Well, sure. I mean, if, if, if the belief system cemented what was already taught in your home, you know, then it's that too. But you were taught that you only had worth if you were doing what somebody else said. And so what a yeah. wonderful means of control that I can make you do what I want. I mean, to the point where you are with someone who is not even your husband and this person is saying he doesn't like you having friends. He says, and this is just rich. And I think every single one of my listeners cringed when we heard this one, I know Casey is up in the booth and she's having a mad <laughs> fit when, when Rob read this sentence and where your he doesn't like me having friends. He says, having friends isn't normal. Yeah. I think I speak for all of humanity when I say that it's the dumbest fucking thing I've had on my show in months. <laughs> having friends isn't normal. Uh, Rob, I'm going to turn to you here. I got to ask, what did you think when you heard the sentence, he says having friends isn't normal? Be honest. You're right. There's been a lot of dumb things said on this show, but that was <laughs> numero uno. Right. And that doesn't mean you're dumb, Beth. In no way are you dumb. No, no way. Taken, yes. <laughs> no, because no, I it wasn't directed at you. You wrote what this idiot said. Having friends isn't normal. Okay. Um, no, this is someone trying to control you and isolate you and you do what you are told because that's what you've done your whole life. So here you are at 36, you were conditioned yeah. in your belief system that you were taught in your home growing up about your lack of worth. You, you weren't important. And besides you're the problem, you're inconsolable. We had to just step away from you. You were a pain in the ass and we don't have time for you. It's all about your sister. You were getting the underlying message. You don't matter. You don't matter. You don't matter. So you only matter through your parents, through your religion, through your husband at 23. Holy shit, somebody loves me? And yeah. through your lover, you only matter when you're doing what they say. Let me ask you this. What do you think of that? What, let me put it to you this way. How much would it hurt your heart if your son were 26 and he's in a marriage and he's just doing what his wife or his uh, lover, if he's gay, whatever, um, mm -hmm. and is that he's only doing what his lover or spouse says because that's where he gets his sense of worth. How much would that hurt your heart as his mother? Oh, I, I would be, I would shake him and be like, what are you doing? Like, you're amazing. Right, I'm I, shaking, I mean, I'm shaking you right now, Beth, saying you're amazing. I'm shaking you right now and Thank saying <laughs> in the in the words of Cher in in Moon 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 what Rob Moonstruck with the Nicolas Cage Moonstruck Moonstruck Cher slaps him and says snap out of it I'm shaking you right now and I'm saying snap out of it now I know it's not as easy as snapping out of it but you are wonderful you're a child of God or you're a child of the universe whatever your theology is but you have worth and you are wonderful. It's just that you've been fed a pack of fucking lies to the point where you're shocked when I say, was it your nature when you came out of the womb? Were you good? And you wiggled and squirmed because it was so uncomfortable to consider the thought that you were good from the beginning. And you've been good the whole time, not because of what you did, but simply because of who you are. And it, so let me ask you this question. I have a question, but... For the moment, let's take a quick break. I'll be right back with more Badass Counseling. I counseled with Badass Counseling for about four months and Sven completely turned my life around. He kicked my butt. No shit. He made me do homework too, but I was so ready for a change that I just did it all. I'm telling you, he changed my life. Thank you so much, Badass Counseling. Now back to more Badass Counseling with Sven. Beth, you said, if I follow the path, then you're worthy. And I was being a good girl, which implies that you've been doing that in your entire life, listening to people, reading people and listening to them. What do I need to do to make them like me? What do I need them to do to confirm my worth, basically? And, and what I said was, wait a minute, you had worth the moment you stepped out of the womb and you hadn't done a doggone thing except cry and, you know, maybe poop and, and whatever else. You already had worth. So it got stolen from you and somebody put a carrot on a stick and they hung that carrot out there. And they said, until you go do the right thing, you don't get the carrot, all right? And I'm gonna beat you and I'm gonna yell at you and I'm gonna put you down when you're not doing what I say. And I'm gonna cut you off from all your friends unless you do what I say. 
unless you mm -hmm. do what I say. And unfortunately, in parenting, then what happens is we often then give that same power to our children. We let them fucking control us and do what they say and so on and so forth. But here's the thing. Is it possible that mom, dad, and, uh, you know, if you want to lump the religion in there, and husband and your cheater lover, is it possible that they're wrong? Is it possible that your worth is not because of what you do for them? Is it possible that your worth is not because of you doing what they say? Is it possible, just possible, I'm only asking if it's possible. Is it possible, Beth, that you are a wonderful, kind, beautiful, just wonderful mother, good person, just because of who you are? Is it possible? It's weird to think of myself that way, but mm. yeah, I mean, like you said, I didn't start out being a bad person. I think my actions over the last three-ish, almost three years have surprised me. Um, because? I never in a million years thought that I would make the decision to cheat. You mm -hmm. know, um, mm -hmm. I never, in a million years pictured myself staying in a relationship with a man who is married, like mm -hmm. with kids and mm -hmm. then lying on top. Like I just, that's not me. And so, and, and so why'd you do it? Why'd you cheat? Why'd you lie? Why'd you stay with him? Uh, that, why? What's the reason if you're, what? Oh, I'm so sorry I interrupted you. No, no. Yeah, I know. You don't, don't, don't do anything that might hurt me, Beth. Don't do anything. <laughs> Exhibit A. No. Exhibit A, that's right. Case in point. Um, no, go ahead. I like it when you interrupt me. I like it when you get assertive, Beth. It's great. You were starting to say because it made me feel good? Yeah, it made me feel like I was enough. It made me feel like I was enough. Yeah, and isn't it interesting, the desire to feel like enough, that implies that when I would do all this other stuff to try to win someone's love, win my religion's love, win my parents' love, win my husband's love, it was never enough, never enough, never enough, never enough. I would do all this stuff and it was never enough. I just want to be loved for who I am for fuck's sake. Yeah. Right? It right. didn't matter to him if I believed in God or not, or if I, like, it didn't matter in the beginning. And then... It didn't, you said it didn't matter if I believed in God. It didn't matter this, it didn't matter that. But then it began to matter and he began to control you. Yeah. He begged you to reunite with your family. And by your family, do you mean your husband? No, my parents. Why did he give a shit if you reunited with your family? He said he knew how much I missed them um, because I was disfellowshipped and I couldn't, you know, have any sort of relationship. And he said, I should just go back. And he said, either I'll fix things and, you know, get a divorce and then we can get married or you can lie and just say you're not with me. Like, what's the harm in that? And- And there is harm. You said it's destroying you from the inside. Oh yeah. All of these lies. And, and what, yeah. boil that word destroyed me on the inside, boil that down to one sentence. What ultimately in all of this, is destroying you most doing that has i think confirmed to me that i am a bad person mm. if that makes sense mm -hmm. like i was like wow i really am capable of doing something like that like that's horrible you mm. know mm. yeah uh, we're all capable of doing really bad stuff and part of any honest person's admission in life is we've all well, to use religious language, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sure. We've all sinned. We've all done wretched, vile stuff. We've all hurt people, every single one of us. And if you think you haven't, to anybody who might be listening, you probably don't belong on my show. <laughs> you, you're not going to like, because that's, that's the human condition. But that doesn't yeah. mean that you are intrinsically bad. See, that's the difference. That's the difference. And you've been trying to be good, but the the... You were, it, you had the belief planted in you that you are bad and you only have worth when you're doing good. And what that really means is doing what other people say you should do. So let sure. me ask you a dumb fucking question. Are you good at your essence, who you are? I, I am. I care about people. I, 
I love animals like so much. Mm. My dogs, my son. Mm. Um, mm. I just want the best for everybody, and I just want everyone to be happy. Yeah, and and the truth is, moving forward from age thirty six, at the top of that list, other than your son, you have to want you to be happy, and that means there are going to be people who don't like the decisions you make. You have yeah. to be willing to have other people be disappointed in you because that's you confirming I matter. The truth yeah. is I have had plenty of people not like what I've done in my life. But the bottom line is it's recognizing that if I be my authentic self, I'm going to disappoint some people. I'm going to have some people not like, oh, I just want you to do what I say, Sven. You know, yeah. what's that old song? Everybody wants me to be what they want me to be, what they want me to be. I think that's Lionel Richie and Commodores, right? I beg stolen about easy like Sunday morning, right? Everybody wants me to be what they want me to be. Oh, yeah. Right. And it's easy on one hand to go through life being what everybody wants me to be, but it's not easy because it destroys me inside because I, I you can never be happy that way because it's never going to be enough. And when you're just trying, wanting people to like you and be what they want you to be, mm -hmm. that's you were conditioned that way in your childhood. And that's what caused you to stay with someone who was beating you mm -hmm. and emotionally beating you. And you chose to cheat. And you said, I just wanted to feel like I was enough. And it felt good. Of course it felt good. Yeah. And you know what? I got to be honest with you. You cheating on someone who's physically and emotionally abusing you. Yeah, I. that's one of those rare situations where I don't really stick it to the cheater. Every other situation, I've written books on cheating and it's okay. one of my areas, especially I've been cheated on. I did cheat and I was the co-cheater many times. I'm not proud of it, but it is what it is. And the bottom line is there are those rare situations and you were being physically and emotionally abused by your husband and you just wanted to have some fucking lifeline. But I now, guess. right? Am I correct on that? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you, yeah. Need to, you need to maybe give yourself a mulligan on that one. Maybe give yourself a bit of a pass on that one because okay. you were being physically and emotionally abused. Now, if you had had any sense of self-worth, though it was all basically stolen from you as a child, you know, if you had had any sense of self-worth, sure, you would have checked out of the relationship first and then gone and had the relationship with the guy, but whatever, you're being physically and emotionally abused and you were conditioned to allow that from your childhood, so is what it is, but... This at this point, everyone's shoving you around and and telling you what you should be. This has to stop, and the way it stops ultimately is down at that core belief that says I matter, that says I am good. And at some point, the decision that you're really that life is pressing you to make, Beth, is ultimately, do I matter to me? Oh, that's a good one. Your whole life, you were conditioned to believe that you only get your worth when it's confirmed by someone else. And so you're always doing what everyone else wants. And Lord, God help you, you never wanna hurt someone's feelings because then they won't be nice to you and be happy and confirm your worth. You only have worth when it's confirmed by another person. That's what you were conditioned to believe. You see that, right? I do. Yeah, I do now. And do you see yeah. how that's problematic? I do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, because I mean, think about it. Your 10 year old boy, I'll just call him George because it's such a silly name for a little boy, but I, we'll call him George. And, okay. <laughs> and so George, if George believes he can only get worth from another person, then he has his first, you know, let's say he feels gay and you know, that he is gay. Not he feels gay, he feels that he is gay. And so when he's 14, he has his first boyfriend. And if he only gets his worth from his boyfriend, he's gonna let his boyfriend do everything and be mean to him and hurt him or take his money or whatever, at some point he's going to give up his sense of worth to his boyfriend. Or if he's straight, um, then he's gonna, you know, to his wife and his wife is going to emotionally abuse him or take advantage of him. And eventually that just degenerates, degenerates further. And eventually he's gonna be this extreme giver and she's just gonna keep fucking taking. So in other yeah. words, if you don't condition little George, who's now 10, to believe that he has worth for who he is, he's gonna track down the exact same path you went down. And, and, and so, but you're 36 and I'm sure you probably think, oh, I'm some fucking old lady. I, and, and all the, all us old folk in there. Yeah. Right. And, and every, every fucking older woman in, in my audience and there are plenty of them is saying, oh God, I'd love to go back to 36. Oh, you know, or go back to 42 or, you know, I mean, those are great years. You're just beginning. It's just like, you have the chance to rewrite your life. You have at least potentially 50 years or so left. 
And until you fucking believe that you matter, until you 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 focus on that divine spark of goodness inside of you, you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. You're saying, well, well, there's one set of rules for little George and there's a different set of rules for me. I only get my worth when other people like me or I can't bear to, in your words, I hate hurting anyone's feelings. Well, what if, what if it means, what if I acknowledge my feelings and it hurts their feelings? Unfortunately, sometimes, you know, we don't get to make everyone happy, but you're saying no with George, I want you to stand up for yourself, even if it sometimes means hurting other people's feelings. So it's like you got one set of rules for George and one set of rules for you. Do you see the problem there? I absolutely do. So what absolutely. above all else needs to change? What really above all else in your life needs to change? So you're not being sort of a hypocrite and saying the, the rules for George are one thing and the rules for me are another thing. What fundamentally needs to change in your life or inside of you? I don't know. I, I don't, I, I, I think it's the relationship I'm in right now. No, I no. The no. relationship, no, and that's okay. I'm, I'm sorry, that was a bit short, but no, uh, that is a manifestation. That's a symptom. That's a symptom. Rob and I have both had colds for about the last three weeks, right? And chest cold and all this and the runny nose, whatever. The runny nose is a symptom. That's not the problem. The problem is the virus or the problem is the infection. The, okay. the runny nose or the cough that I've had, that's a symptom. This relationship that you're in with this guy, yeah, that does need to change. I'm not disputing that. Right. Yeah. And what a, what a fucking piece of shit. I, in, all, in all honesty, you do what you want. Throw that fucking piece of shit to the curb. You're getting worth from someone who is undercutting your worth. You're trying to get worth from someone. You're giving up all your power just to confirm your worth. No, the real, the virus, the infection goes way back to childhood. You have to begin to look at the messages that you were taught about yourself way back in your childhood because that conditioning that you don't have worth or you only have worth when you're on the path and being a good girl, that's what caused you to come to age 23 and say, oh my God, somebody actually loves me? Wait, wait, I have worth? You're 23 years old and you were shocked that yeah. someone could love you. Well, that was a setup from when you were three, from when you were 13. You were set up to believe that you didn't, such that you get to 23 and you're shocked. <laughs> a child, you would be, you would hate yourself. I'm willing to bet you would hate yourself if George came to age 23 and was shocked that someone actually loved him. Oh yeah, I, I would be devastated. Because I, I, as the parent, didn't confirm his worth. Exactly. I want my son going out into the world, understanding his beauty, his value, his strength, his softness, his creativity, his hard work ethic, his good decision-making. I want to confirm my child's worth so that the yeah. first person who comes and gives him a little breadcrumb of love, he doesn't throw himself all over like I did. Mm -hmm. And I don't just mean I, Beth. I mean I, Sven. I did that too. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right, and so it starts with you, Beth. You have the power to change his life by changing your life. You are modeling for him lack of self-worth, and all your words are just bullshit coming out of your pie hole if you're living a completely different message. You wanna fucking change your son's life? You wanna fucking become an, an even more amazing parent than you are? Go back and heal your fucking childhood. Go back and look at the real shit in this supposedly idyllic childhood or in, oh, it was great, whatever. No, it wasn't. You got some very powerful messages that have taken you into some real shit storms in your life. And I'm not blaming the victim in this case. I'm blaming the fucking, I'm putting responsibility, culpability in the lap of the people who conditioned the little girl to believe that the fact that she's not important and or not that important and the fact that she, you know, we don't really give you attention is because you were inconsolable. We're blaming you, little girl. If Until you go into that shit, the, the marriage of being abused and this fucking piece of shit supposed lover who felt good in the beginning, but this doesn't feel good. Having friends isn't normal. No, what set up this douchebag being in your life and what set up your fucking husband abusing you is you being taught you were inconsolable. It's your fault people don't want to be around you. You're no good. You only have worth when you're being a good girl and doing the right thing and doing what everybody else says. You have given away your entire sense of worth to everyone else. You actually, I have to correct myself again. You didn't give it away. It was stolen from you. And it's time to take it back. It's time yeah. to take it back. Uh, just out of curiosity, have you read my book, uh, There's a Hole in My Love Cup? I got, I downloaded oh, downloaded the ebook um, and I got through like the first chapter sure, of it. Sure, sure. Good, good. Yeah. That's great. And there's no rush, but what that's going to force you to do, and I and I get a lot of people, it's funny you say that about the first chapter. I get a lot of people who say either at the introduction or at the end of the first chapter, and then they stop reading. <laughs> and part of it is because you realize what you're bump, bumping into once yeah. you sort of go down the very little bit of the rabbit hole that is the chapter one. It's like, 
oh shit, I don't know if I want to touch this or I don't know if I agree with this or whatever. But if you choose to, and there's no pressure, yeah. Um, but if you choose to and decide you actually want to fix your life, you need to go into all that shit and begin to look at the truth of your past because it's not as idyllic and mom and dad weren't as innocent as you have been wanting to believe all of these years. And so you're, you said, I hate hurting anyone else. You know, I would rather I was the one getting hurt. Exactly. It's easier in your old belief system and old Beth, it's easier to believe that I'm the problem. I'm the fault. It's all my fault. It's easier to believe that than to deal with the pain, to look at little seven-year-old Beth's pain that she experienced because mom and dad fucked up. They fucking neglected me. Dad was, you know, tried to give me a little bit of love, but he was gone all the time. So I was basically this forgotten fucking child. And they blamed me, called me inconsolable. And I'm betting there were others, some other names that we didn't find out today. But you were taught you were the problem and you're not wanted. And so you've gone through your whole life that way. And you've chosen people that gave you just one little drop of love. And that's no way to live. And until you go into that shit, you're going to keep having fucking miserable life now and and choosing people, continuing to choose people who are absolute shit to you. Does that make any sense at all? Oh, no, it absolutely does. And I I really want to do the work. I know I, I have to do the work, if not yeah. for myself, for my son too. And what's, the, and what's the scariest part about quote unquote doing the work? Being honest with myself. You about know, what? Uh, being honest about what specifically is the scariest part? My parents and maybe like- And realizing. which one more above all else are you most afraid to look at the truths of, mom or dad? Probably my mom. Why? Why is that so scary? What does it mean if you look at the truths of how she parented you? What would you have to admit? That I had to walk on eggshells around her all the time. And why is that so scary to admit? Because that means what? That, I mean, I know I don't have to like tell her that per se, but- But what's like, the scariest part about admitting that? What does it mean that you had to walk on eggshells around your mother? Cause it, I, it would hurt her. Like if she knew that. Even, even if you never said it to her face, it would hurt her. And so as a result, I'm, I want to avoid the truth so that I don't hurt her, even though she really fucked up as a parent. She may be a wonderful person, blah, blah, blah. But the bottom line, it, yeah. yeah. But, I'm, but as a parent, she clearly fucked up. She neglected yeah. her fucking child. She made her child walk on eggshells, thereby conveying to the child your feelings and your wants don't matter. You need to always be tuned into me. And you walked on eggshells, no doubt, because if you offended her, you would incur some sort of wrath or something. So yeah. regardless of who she is as a person, as a parent, she colossally fucked up. And you're afraid to admit that because you don't want to hurt her. It's far easier to hurt yourself yeah. than to hurt her. So you are protecting the feelings of the person who never met your feeling needs to begin with. You're protecting yeah. her over yourself. Yeah. And it, I know, and I know that sounds insane. Like, no, you it know. Doesn't. No, it doesn't sound insane. It sounds very, very normal. But the bottom line is at some point you have to choose who ultimately is more important in your life, your own health, your own sanity, your own sense of joy, or protecting a parent who really wasn't parenting to begin with. It's up to you. It's your life. You get to live it however you want and no one gets to judge you for it. But yeah. in the end, if you choose to protect your mother over your own feelings from when you are eight yeah. or when you were 12 or when you were four, if you choose to protect by not looking at the truth of how you were treated and mistreated at those ages, if you choose to not look at that, you, it is now you re-victimizing that eight-year-old. Oh. Because that eight-year-old just wants to be heard even if you never say it to mom, that eight-year-old is coming to you, 36-year-old you, and saying, please let our feelings out. I wasn't strong enough. Please, I had to box them all up because it was all about mom. Please, just honor my feelings just once. You're stronger than I was, please. And that little eight-year-old girl is asking you to look at the truth and acknowledge the truth so that she knows her feelings and what she's experiencing was actually real. But by you boxing it up, you are re-victimizing that eight-year-old self, that six-year-old self, that 13-year-old self. Now it's you doing it. And you never have to say the word one to your mother in real life. But if okay. you don't acknowledge the truths that were done to that little girl, now it's you doing it. Now it's you choosing it. Now it's you saying to your old self, you don't matter. So you are protecting the person who caused the pain over the victim who experienced the pain. 
then that is blaming the victim. Now you're blaming the victim. And yeah. what I'm saying is, no, let's honor that seven-year-old girl. Let's get those feelings out. Let's look at the truth. And by doing that for the first time in your life, you'll experience a power and a strength and a lightness because you're finally acknowledging the truth. And you'll experience those things like you've never known even existed. Does yeah. a little bit of any of that make a little bit of sense? Oh, absolutely. That's good stuff. <laughs> it, it's good. So what are you feeling, Beth? I feel validated. Mm. <laughs> if that makes sense. I feel mm. like it feels really good to like let that out mm. and even just a little bit and talk about it. Um, I feel very emotional. Like I could go have a really good cry. <laughs> mm. Yeah, um, part of the reason we have those, I get emotionals or a cry comes out now and then, or it's because we've spent so much of our life trying to keep our authentic feelings down. But when that vault is full of so many feelings that have been squelched our whole life, they sort of squirt out at different times because we don't wanna actually go into the vault and just let it all come out and welcome all those feelings. But when the vault's so full, it's gonna squirt out anyway. But that's not the same as actually addressing the pain and feeling yeah. it and flushing it all out. And so I would encourage you to go further into the book and do the extra exercises and do the exercises yeah. in writing because that's going to begin to let more and more and more of it out and you're going to give it words and giving those experiences words really like doubles and triples the amount that you're emptying out of that vault. Beth, you've been an amazing guest. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and opening up and your courage in doing so. Thank you. On behalf of the listeners, thank you and, and myself, thank you so much for your honesty and your openness. Thank you for having me. This meant the world <laughs> that you would do that. You're welcome. And I believe in you and you are a good person and you were created good and you are still good. And that flame needs to be, that, that little spark needs to be stoked to full flame. And that more and more, your belief in yourself, your belief in your own goodness and falling in love with yourself for the first time in your life, that is how God created you to be or the universe created you to be. And it's time to come into the full awareness of your goodness and love of self. I believe in you, Beth. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. And sorry for my dogs. <laughs> oh, stop it. It's great. Thank you, Beth. And Thank to, you. you bet. And to all of our listeners around the world, from Iowa to Indiana to Mexico and Guatemala, to our friends in Dublin and down in Adelaide, Thank you so much for tuning in. I love every last one of you. On behalf of KC and Beth, I wish you a kick-ass day. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer, Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day.